Well, welcome Pathway family, Westlink, Goddard, Valley Center, those of you who are watching online, so glad you're here uh, for the second weekend of our important series that we're in, The Separation of Church and Hate. And I thought Pastor Elliot did a fantastic job last week of kind of launching our series and really illustrating the hate that we see in politics, not only kind of in the broader culture out there, but right here in our own Christ-following community. You, you see, hate isn't just kind of out there someplace that everybody else does. You see, hate's in here. And the book of James says it doesn't bring about the righteous life that God desires. You know, it reminds me of a story that I heard the other day about Barry Sanders, and Barry Sanders, if you don't know, is the most famous football player to ever come out of Wichita. He went to North High School, he played at Oklahoma State, had an incredible uh, professional career with the Detroit Lions, and now has been inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Well, Garth Brooks was doing a concert in Detroit in the summer of 2020. And since Garth Brooks went to Oklahoma State, he was a huge Barry Sanders fan. And so he decided to wear a Detroit Lions a jersey with the number 20 on the back. But when he did, social media erupted. And people began to say crazy things to Garth Brooks like, you know, I don't want to come to your concert and hear about your politics. I will never buy another one of your records again. You see, they thought Garth Brooks was promoting Bernie Sanders, not Barry Sanders. <laughs> Bernie Sanders is the senator from Vermont who was seeking the Democratic nomination for president at the time. You see, in our world today, if I don't like your politics, there's nothing good about you at all. And if you and I don't agree on politics, then I'm done with you. You are unfriended forever. And so we jump to conclusions so quickly and treat people so poorly for the mere appearances that they might have a different opinion than our own. Now, many of you might know, but um, I lost my mom recently. And um, she was 95 years old. She was an incredible mom, an incredible grandmother, and an incredible follower of Christ. And when we were over at my mom's uh, this last week, starting to kind of go through things, I came across, across this quote on a refrigerator. And you can see it there. It's got a pathway magnet even kind of over in the corner. <laughs> but listen to what it says. They told me if I voted for Hillary, there would be corruption and lies in the White House. I did vote for Hillary, and boy, were they right. <laughs> well, as you can see, my mother was a staunch Democrat. She would probably say one of the greatest failures of her life was that I was conservative. <laughs> and my mom and I used to have all kinds of political discussions, and she would cut articles out of magazines, out of newspapers, and she'd give them to me to read all the time. But you know what made everything different as we discussed political issues? It was how my mom treated me. She loved me. And she always spoke and treated me with respect, even when we disagreed over politics. And that's exactly how Jesus, he told us to live, didn't he? Remember what Jesus said, John chapter 13? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love. If you love one another. Followers of Jesus are to be known for love. 
They are to be known for love and not for hate. So each of us have a choice of how that we are going to respond to this hatred and all this vitriol that's so prevalent in our culture. We can either pour gasoline uh, on this fire and cause more destruction, cause more hurt to people, or we can pour water on the hatred that is out there and begin to diffuse the flame. That's what we can do. But what would that look like, though? What would it look like, though, if you and I could love in a way that diffused hate, that honored Jesus, and made a powerful statement to the world about the love of God? Well, I'm going to give you a couple of uh, commitments that I think we can make today that can demonstrate love in this age of rage that we live in. And the first commitment I think we can demonstrate love in this age of rage is to be able to practice civility. Now, many of you might know Dave and Ellen Bridgewater, who have been a part of our Pathway family for a number of years, and they used to be our next-door neighbors for like 20 years. And if you don't know Dave and Ellen, they are rabid KU fans. So every time KU would play a game, they would fly their KU flag out on the flagpole in front of their house. So the day that K-State was playing KU in football, I belly crawled. I belly crawled over to their house. Their front door was even open. And I took down their KU flag and I put up a K-State flag. <laughs> I mean, it was a glorious day. It was a wonderful day to be a Wildcat fan. <laughs> you see, we passionately like different sports teams. But we're still great friends. However, I want to contrast the temperature of that interaction with the temperature of an interaction that I had with a transgender friend of mine just this last week. I tried to add him as a friend on Facebook, but before he would add me as a friend on Facebook, he wanted to have a phone conversation with me. He wanted to make sure that I knew where he was at regarding his relationship with God and being transgender. And it created a situation that was emotionally charged for him, and it was emotionally charged for me. And so I had to make a decision in that moment about how I was going to manage the temperature of that conversation. Now, the word civility comes from a Latin word that literally means citizen. Civility is learning how to treat people you disagree with in order to build a great society. It's not a personality trait, it's a character trait. It's not something that you're born with, it's something that you have to develop. And it shouldn't be, and there, and there shouldn't be anybody who models better civility than someone whose character is being transformed by the person of Jesus Christ. And so, for example, I want you to look at what it says in Colossians chapter 3. It says... Therefore, as God's chosen and holy people, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You see, no one should model civility better than followers of Jesus Christ. Another example, Ephesians chapter 4, it says there, let everything you say, everything you say, be good and helpful 
Wow. <laughs> that would eliminate probably half of all that we say, and especially probably what we say on social media. I, I don't know. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement. It'll be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. I want you to think about that last part of that verse for a moment. You see, you can make the Holy Spirit of God sad. You can make the Holy Spirit of God sad. How do you and I do that? Let's keep looking in this verse. It says, get rid of all, all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. See, when we say things, we post things, we spew out hate, it makes the Holy Spirit of God sad. That's what it's doing. It says, get rid of all these types of evil behaviors. Instead, be kind to each other. Christ followers should model better than anybody else what kindness really looks like. And we can all admit it's a lot easier uh, to be unkind when you're typing on a screen than it is when you're face-to-face with somebody, isn't it? And so I want to implore you, Pathway family, let's practice civility and and refuse to engage in the the toxic debates that are taking place on social media, the toxic debates that that are going around around water coolers, and the toxic debates that are happening all over the different places of our lives, all right? Christ's command to us. The way that Christ followers live is to practice civility. We look like Jesus did. We look like those things in Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 4. Well, the second way we can commit to demonstrate love in an age of rage, we can see actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look with me at what it says there. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. So we can see clearly here that that the body of Christ is to be diverse. Different ethnicities, got it, Jew-Gentile. Different places of social structure, slave-free, different function. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is all about. So next, demonstrate love in an age of rage by embracing really Christ-centered diversity. Embracing it. Jesus' plan from the very beginning was to have a very diverse church. Different tribes, tongues, nations, cultures, and let me say it, even politics. Even politics. I mean, think about the political diversity of the first 12 disciples. Simon the Zealot, he he thought the best political strategy for dealing with the Roman Empire was to overthrow the Romans. He wanted to overthrow the Romans, he wanted to kill the Romans. Matthew the tax collector, he thought that the best political strategy for dealing with the Romans was to be able to accommodate the Romans, to be able to work with the Romans. That's what he thought. And so these two disciples despised They despised the other's political position. But you know what? They came together as one. They came together as one because of their common love for the person of Jesus Christ. And you know why Jesus wanted a diverse church? 
Well, he wanted to be, have a diverse church, so first of all, that everyone could be a part of it. That's what everyone being is. Everybody is diverse. And that he saw it as well as a way for the world to be able to see him and to be drawn to him. You see, Jesus' strategy for, for reconciling the world to his Father was to put on display a, a church of different people being reconciled to each other. Because when people see all the diversity that's out there being drawn together, they know that's God. Because it doesn't happen out there. That is unworldly. That is, that is something that is not of this world when, when people are drawn together that are so radically different from one another. But that's actually what happened for the first 200 years of the church. A community of people developed that, that the world had never seen before. They never experienced or seen anything like it. People of different ethnicities, tribes, tongues, cultures, nations, and women being treated with the same value as men. And that's the church that Jesus still wants to see today. That's what he desires to see. A church where people of different political views, people of different ethnicities, people of different backgrounds, different customs, different preferences either, coming all together in unity of love to be able to worship, to be able to follow the person of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing about diversity. Everybody likes the thought of diversity. That's really not the problem. I think particularly in our culture, we, we like the thought of it. We love the thought of diversity, but what we don't love is diversity of thought. We love having people around us who are different than us as long as they agree with everything that we think. We're good with it as long as you agree with me. <laughs> you can be different, but agree with me. So what should we do then with, with people in our, in our church, in our community, whose politics that are different than ours? Befriend them. Engage them in a conversation. Take them to lunch. Invite them to your home team. Here's a practical idea. Maybe in our kind of current context. If you voted yes on the amendment, I'm going to encourage you to reach out to someone who voted no and take them for coffee, have lunch with them, engage them in a conversation. And the goal of the conversation is not to convince the other person that you're right and they're wrong, but the goal of the conversation would be to listen and understand. Listen and understand where a person's coming from. And if you voted no on the amendment, I want you to reach out to someone who voted yes and have that same kind of conversation. The goal isn't to be able to convince somebody else that you're right and they're wrong. But the goal of the conversation is to listen and understand at least where a person is coming from. You know, in many ways, uh, this last week when I was at the Hutchison Prison uh, for the Leadership Summit, I got to experience and really relearn again what Christ embracing diversity really looks like. You know, I, I got to experience and relearn it again with all first of all, the surprising kind of interactions that I had with these inmates at the prison who were very different than I am, who saw the world different, saw politics different, saw government infrastructure certainly as different than I did. But in the end, a lot of insightful comments. And I, and I got to see the powerful effect that diversity in the body of Christ can really have. You know, the most profound observation that all the staff from the Hutchinson prison made this last week is all those prisoners of different races, different gangs, different groups came together within the church they, in, in that, that spiritual life center. They were sitting by each other, talking with each other. I mean, isn't that crazy? 
It's crazy. It doesn't look crazy. That's been in the prison. That don't happen. That does not happen in a prison. It was awesome. The staff was blown away by, by, blown away by it because that doesn't happen in a prison. You see, they saw Jesus by the unity in the midst of all of that diversity. You see, diversity and unity are not an option. They are mission critical. And the world needs to see that our common love for Jesus produces a love for each other. And it builds bridges instead of walls. And it transcends all kinds of barriers. So Pathway family, let's embrace, embrace Christ-centered diversity. Let's be the church. And as we become the church in greater and greater degrees, what's going to happen? Just what Jesus said, John chapter 17, Pastor Hutchinson's going to talk more about it next week. It changes the world. That's what happens. All right? Well, the third commitment I think we can make to demonstrate love in an age of rage is to prioritize action. Prioritize action. Now, to illustrate this, I want to take uh, us back and look at the historical context of the early church. In the historical context of the first few centuries of the church, there were most likely three major plagues. And during those plagues, it's been documented that the pagans were afraid of death. And so they ran out of the cities from the plagues. The rich pagan people left first, uh, then the pagan priests left next, and then after that, basically, the poor and the average people were just left there to die. Well, many of the people that remained were Christ followers. And the Christ followers that remained in the cities began to uh, take care of their families. And with just a little bit of care and with a little bit of water and nurture, many of them were nursed back to health. But on the other hand, the pagans in the community, they put their families out into the streets to die. They were afraid to die themselves, so they abandoned their own families out in the streets. But because the Christ followers didn't fear death, after they cared for their own, they began to take care of the pagan people in the community. They began to care for the babies, children, the aged, all who had been left out in the streets. So much so, the people began to know the followers of Christ by their love. That's how they were known. By their loving action. That's how the Christ followers were known. Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor who you might have heard of if you've ever watched the movie The Gladiator, he was an actual historical figure. And, and he writes uh, in a letter that on some days over 5,000 people a day were taken out of Rome because of the plague. The plague would annihilate really entire cities. But it was in this kind of diseased environment that Christ followers... Christ followers, they rose to the occasion and they began to be known by their loving action. And because of their loving action, when the Emperor Constantine came into power, he embraced the Christ following life. And as a result, uh, the persecution of Christ followers, which had gone on at that point for quite some time, stopped all over the Roman Empire because at that point in time, Rome became a Christian nation. But what you may not know historically is that a couple emperors later, there was an emperor called Emperor Julian the Apostate. And Emperor Julian decided he had enough of Christianity. He wanted to go back to paganism. Things weren't going well in the Roman Empire at that point in time. They thought, you know, maybe the gods had turned against him. 
So Emperor Julian, he decided to reinstitute paganism all over Rome, but he ran into a little bit of trouble. The trouble was Christ followers were so well known for their generosity and their benevolence. So when he erected some of the new pagan temples uh, to the Roman gods and reinstituted the priesthood of the pagans, didn't really gain much traction. And there was an actually uh, a fragment of a letter that was found, and in this letter Julian complains uh, about paganism not gaining any traction. So I want you to read a little small portion of this letter uh, that Julian had written, and it was written somewhere between 355 and 365 AD. Listen to what Julian says. Recent Christian growth was caused by their moral character, even if it was pretended, and by their benevolence toward strangers. So first I want to stop right there and just let you soak that in for a second. Christ followers were known for their high moral character, impeccable moral character, and for their benevolence, for their generosity. That's how, that's how they're known. To me, that's awesome. To me, that just said, that's what the first century church, that's what Christ followers should look like all the time. That's how they were known. He goes on to say, then, I think that when the poor are neglected and overlooked by the priests, he's actually talking about the, the pagan priests there who don't care for the poor people because the pagan gods don't care for the poor people either. He said then, these impious Galileans, that's how he referred to Christ followers, these impious Galileans observe this and have devoted themselves to benevolence, not only to their poor, but to ours as well. So how are you going to compete with that if you're in paganism? I mean, the Christ followers have this incredible reputation, this incredible reputation of impeccable moral character, of generosity and benevolence. Why would you want to turn to paganism when they're the people that really care about other people? And the pagan people don't. You see, that's what the church looks like when it's, when it's uh, alive and, and well. So you can see how Christ's following then spread all over the Roman Empire. It's because those Christ followers in the first century, they prioritized action. You see, the Apostle John, he said it this way. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. That's what he said. You see, the first century Christ followers didn't prioritize making stands on issues to make sure that everybody knew the point. No, they prioritized loving action so they could make a difference. That's what they did. They prioritized loving action. You know, um, I talked with a friend of mine this last week who I've known for 20 plus years, and his name is Steve. And immediately after Steve found out about my mom's passing, he sent a text message and said, man, I'm so sorry to hear about that. Well, just uh, about the middle of this week, I finally caught up with Steve and I talked with him on the phone. And he said, you know, when I heard about your mom's passing, immediately I thought about the time where your mom took me into her house. You see, several years ago, Steve was homeless for a period of time. And my mom took Steve in. And Steve's probably one of the most non-religious people that you will ever meet. He's a really big guy, and frankly, if you don't know him, he's a little scary. Very, very different kind of person than my mom. 
But my mom took Steve into her house. She fed him. She took care of him. And my mom's willingness to take Steve in, a, a person that was so different than her, Steve said he'll remember forever. You see, my mom, she prioritized loving action. She took somebody in that was very different than herself to the point that it was uncomfortable for her. But my friend Steve now will be forever imprinted, forever imprinted by the love of God. So friends, Pathway family, let's prioritize action. Let's be more generous people. Let's be more benevolent people. Let's take people in, especially those people that are are different than us, so that we can begin to be the people of God that he has called us to be that make a difference here in this world. Because so many times what happened is we've gotten very self-satisfied with knowing what is right or knowing the truth, but the problem is it hasn't really fully aligned with the truth. It's had loving knowledge but not loving action, loving behavior. And so I'm calling you, Pathway family, we've got to right the ship. That's awesome, but it's not whole. It's whole when our loving action is connected to all that. That's how the world gets changed. That's how it was changed in the first century. That's how it gets changed today. So as we begin to close, I want us to pray about that, that we'd all take steps in that that area. So I just want to invite you right now, wherever you're watching, um, whatever campus that you're at, bow your head, close your eyes with me right now, and I just want us to spend some time talking to God. And as we begin to pray right now, what I want to do first is I want to take you back again to what Jesus said in John chapter 13. He said, love one another as I have loved you. You, are, you see, our standard for loving others is Jesus. And so I want to ask you, what's then one step today or this week that you need to take to grow in your ability to love more like Jesus, especially right now in this age of rage. For some of you, your step is to be more civil. You need to put Ephesians 4 into action and not let those unkind words spill out of your mouth. For others of you, it's, it's about embracing Christ-centered diversity. You need to focus and build relationships with some people that are different than you are. And for others of you still, it's about prioritizing loving action. Instead of focusing so much on taking stands and making points, you need to prioritize loving action. That makes a difference. But what's that one step that you need to take today or even this week to be able to demonstrate the love of God, to be able to give a picture of what God's like in this particularly angry time and so today if you know that you need to grow in loving others and take a step man and i just want you to say god i hear you god i hear you i want you to lift up your hands right now lift up your hands right now you say god i hear you god i want to grow in loving others i want to take a step today i want to take a step this week to grow in my loving others if you're watching online you can put me in the chat and say god i hear you i need to grow in my steps of loving others praise god a lot of hands me too I got to grow. I'm not done yet. We all got to grow. We're not done.
So let me pray for us. Oh, Father in heaven, I just thank you so much for my friends, my brothers and sisters. We just come before you just confessing, God, that we haven't loved well. We haven't loved well. We haven't, people haven't known us by our love. Instead, in many ways, maybe they've known us by our hate. Father, forgive us for the things that have come out of our mouths, the way we've treated others, or in many ways what we haven't done that we know that's been the good thing to do that we haven't done. But God, we just come to you today and we commit. We commit to taking a step, a step of growth today, this week, toward growing in our love for you and in loving other people. Lord, we love you, we bless you. We thank you so much for your word and how it teaches us. Now, as we continue to pray right now, I know that really there are others of you who have never taken that first step, that first step to embrace the love of God for the very first time. You know, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the only way that we can escape the hate of this world and the hate that's in our own hearts is to be able to make Jesus Christ the leader and the Savior of our lives. You see, he's the source of all love, and he will set you free so that you can experience his love and truly, really be able to love another person. So today, don't miss this opportunity. Today, don't miss these moments right now. Know that God is here, that he knocks on the door of your heart. He wants to be a part of your life, so don't miss it. Don't miss another moment. Open the door of your heart today. Make Jesus Christ the leader, the Savior of your life. Pray this prayer with me right now. Oh, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I've made all kinds of mistakes. And I know the only way that I can escape the hate in my own heart and the hate of this world is to make you the leader and the Savior of my life. So today, Jesus, I choose you. I choose you to be the leader and the Savior of my life. Thank you for all that you've done, especially dying on the cross for my sins. And now use my life, Jesus, to be able to go and show your love, not hate, to this world that needs it. Now with everybody's head still bowed right now and eyes still closed, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, you made Jesus Christ the leader, the savior of your life. Man, I just want you to raise up your hand. I want you to raise up your hand and say, God, God, I made you the leader, the savior of my life today. Raise up your hand wherever that you're at. Raise it up and say, God, I made you the leader, the Savior of my life today. I became a part of your family. Raise up your hand real high. Say to God that you are all in. Say that you are all in today. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I see that hand back there. Hallelujah. Father in heaven, I just thank you so much today for my friends, my brothers and sisters who surrendered their life to you today. God, thank you so much that you're always at work. God, thank you so much that you loved us even when we were unlovable. Lord, I pray that you just would be with my friends who received you today and just bless them and empower them to go and do your work now. Lord, we love you. And we just pray all these things in Jesus' name.